everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Gin and Beer It. I am your host, Meg, and this week I am very excited to be joined by Chris, who joins us from Heyman's Gin, which for those of you who aren't aware, Heyman's is a gin distillery that's based in Balham, which is where I happen to live in London. So it's close to my heart, and it is a family-owned gin business, which is great in this day and age. And so, yeah, welcome. Hi, Chris. Hi, thank you very much for having me. Oh, thanks and, for coming uh, on. Thanks for the, the shout out for Heyman as well. <laughs> so do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and Heyman's and just um, how you've gotten to where you are in the drinks world? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, my name's Chris. Uh, I'm the brand ambassador for Heyman's Gin. Um, as you said, mentioned, we are based in Balham, a South London distillery, uh, they are the oldest family distillery in the in the world. They've been five generations continually distilling as a family, which is pretty damn cool. Um, and yeah, I, I joined there when we opened the new distillery in Balham in 2018. Um, and yeah, my role as brand ambassador um, prior to COVID was an awesome job. <laughs> I was uh, I was out there. Um, my job was to travel around, get groups of people together, and uh, drink and try different drinks and pass drinks around which now is obviously the most illegal thing you can do traveling getting people together and getting people to share glasses so uh yeah so that's all stopped um but yeah it's uh it, it's been great we've obviously pivoted on that now and we're doing more online stuff virtual recordings like this <laughs> which is good um but uh but yeah i I've, I've been working in gin specifically or drinks i suppose since Oh God! What it was 2021? That was it. So maybe seven, six years. Seven Very years, nice. I think. Yeah, which is good. And uh, yeah, to, just just my passion is um, is sort of discovering things and then sort of telling telling the stories behind these brands. I think a lot of people uh, they see the big marketing campaigns and uh, you know. It, you get the big brands that everyone knows, but the the world, like once you scratch below the surface, the world of drinks is, as I'm sure you've discovered on your podcast, is so fascinating. Is, like, yeah. There are all these incredible producers with incredible stories, incredible reasons and different recipes. And then you can get into like the nuance of what different things do. And oh, yeah. It's, I just love yeah, it. that's, that's, that's exactly my passion. You nailed it. That's why I do this podcast. Cause it just, it ties into everything. It ties into history. What was, you know, in fashion at that time, what people were drinking, what people had access to. It's just, it's super fascinating. So I totally agree. So the mm. drink that you have chosen is the gin and tonic to talk about today, which I'm amazed it hasn't been covered yet, but I'm very excited to talk about <laughs> it with you. Um, so why have you chosen the gin and tonic? Yeah, well, I think, like you said, when you when you asked what drink, I was like, it's, it's gin, I'm assuming gin and tonic's <laughs> gone, um, but very surprising. Uh, yeah, it's um, I've chosen that drink because it is uh, probably outside of water, the thing I've consumed the most over the last five or six years. Um, and it is, I guess, in where we are now, 2021, for the last five years, it's been the drink of, of the moment, kind of in the UK, but also pretty or rapidly growing around the world as well and um, done stuff in america uh in europe we got people out in australia and the, the gin and tonic is rising rapidly um so even though we might be a, a bit maybe over the bubble here in the uk like the rest of the world it's still growing um and it's just a phenomenal drink it's just tasty it's got a balance of you know bitterness sweetness you've got refreshing swears it's, it's, it's got everything in it and uh yeah, it's uh, it's been a, been a big part of my life for for quite a while. Oh, definitely. Do you remember the first time you ever had a gin and tonic, or do you have no idea? Yes, weirdly, I was thinking about this this morning, <laughs> uh, just before we did this, um, and I've got a, it's a weird connection. I think because they say like um, it's, it's going to sound odd, but extreme pain kind of like remind like mm-hmm. sticks in the memory. Um, and the day I first tried a gin and tonic, we're in a beer garden. I maybe was like 12 or 13 with my family and my auntie. She, very glamorous lady, drinks gin and tonics, smokes cigarettes. <laughs> She's like the absolutely fabulous type lady. And um, the day I tried it was also the day I discovered cigarettes were really hot because I think she had like dropped one on the ground and I was on the floor and I put my hand on one and it was the most painful oh. thing. I've like, it like burned my hand. Um, and I think to try and calm me down, it was like, oh, here, try some of, try some of my drink. <laughs> and I tried 
gin and tonic with the taste buds of a 10 or 12 oh whatever God, it was, he, it was he loved sugar. It, it, I, I, I thought my head was going to like fold in yeah. on itself it was so bitter yeah. and horrible and oh, I, I was like this I, I never want to be an adult <laughs> this is what you drink this is disgusting <laughs> um, however fast forward um yeah I didn't really try it after that because I, I think it was always one of those things it's not nice it's not nice and then um I got sent a bottle of gin because uh, I was working with a company and they they sent one over and it was a company I ended up working for called Martin Miller's Gin um and I thought well I might as well try this and it was also as um the likes of Fever Tree Tonic were kind of first appearing on mm-hmm. the scenes and uh I tried a gin and tonic with that and I was like oh my god yeah this is this is life changing drink. yeah this, this is something yeah and then I think from that moment on that's that was kind of the changing point and then I went went to work for them and then yeah and it's been like that ever since yeah that's I had a sip well <clears throat> the first I think alcoholic drink I ever tried my dad let me try a sip of German beer and he did that I'm sure I've told the story on the podcast before but he did that kind of intentionally because <laughs> I was probably I don't know like eight or nine um and he was like if you know if she tries a really strong like German wheat beer it's gonna <laughs> put her off drinking beer for you know at least 10 years um and yeah it probably put me off for about that long I thought it was disgusting um But with gin, my parents, not for lack of trying, but they're really not gin drinkers. Like they, like uh, when I was younger, like when Mm -hmm. I went to uni, my mom was like, gin tastes like Christmas trees and not in a good way. She just hates it. Um, So when I lived in, I lived in America until I was 21 or just about 22. um, I never really, and at the time they weren't as popular in the US. I just didn't really, you know, bother with them because my parents said they were gross. It wasn't really a popular thing to drink, you know, in uni and stuff like that. Um, But then when I decided to move to London, I was like, I feel like I have to get on this gin and tonic thing. And I remember going out with a friend in Chicago and I started ordering them and I loved them. But that I what I was getting was like, you know, Gordon's or something with, you know, Schweppes, which like there's nothing wrong with it, but just like very basic. And then when I moved to London and it was introduced to, you know, like Hendrix and Fever Tree, just, you know, with garnishes and stuff, I was like, oh my God, this drink is actually amazing. And there's so much that you can do with it. So yeah, I totally, I totally feel you. My feelings about the gin and tonic have definitely evolved over the years, but it's a, it's a staple at this point in my life. I think I think it must be a test they do at the border now. Like, <laughs> if you're coming over from America, you've got to try gin and tonic, and if you like it, you're allowed in. Like the the, the way the tastes have changed. I've done quite a bit in America. Um, we do there's, there's like a, a New York bar show and stuff, but the real kind of my my barometer is Atlanta, Atlanta mm-hmm. in Georgia. Um, done a couple of well, it was three years ago. Went there and did like a gin uh, kind of event, and uh, everyone was like, "Oh no." We, I'm not going to do any accents because it's embarrassing, but they were were like, uh, gin's gin's no good. We don't like that. No one drinks gin over here. Um, And it was all about the the whiskeys, the bourbon, the rums, things like that. Tequilas, obviously, were the big kind of white spirit vodkas. Um, And then it was two years later, went back, and we just had the longest lines and Mm -hmm. everyone was queuing up. Everyone's like, oh, gin's my favorite. This is, oh, yeah, I've been talking about gin for years. I was like, well, two years ago you were. No, I know, I know. It does seem like it's finally taken off um, since I really moved away. And I think a huge part of that aviation gin, which is like the one that Ryan Reynolds sold Mm. off, um, which I tried a couple months ago. um, That's really good. But I think that has played a huge part since that's like a proper American gin. Um, But yeah, it's definitely, but no, it it was not, it was not a, a common drink to order in America as recently as like five years ago, I would say five or seven years mm. ago. Um, so do you have a particular gin and tonic that's absolutely your favorite or your go-to? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I talk, talk a lot about gin and, and tonics and um, I kind of, I guess it's, I'm not that, but a lot of people, whenever I, you know, if we go to meet friends or a bar with friends or a friend's house and, and they're like, well, we'll make you a drink, gin and tonic. <laughs> like, yeah, obviously. Um, but then people get a bit nervous. Well, not nervous, but they're like, oh, I guess you want something specific or fancy mm-hmm. or blah, blah, blah. But um, part of the joy of the gin and tonic for me is that it's such a personal mm-hmm. thing. Um, and everyone's got their their own. It, everything's on a sliding mm-hmm. scale. like, And you you can you can do whatever you want with it. And one person's ideal gin and tonic is completely mm-hmm. different from another person's. Definitely. It's a difficult one to mess up. I mean, obviously, I've had bad ones, but um, 
but at the end of the day, it's it's generally a pretty you know if we're talking like Asda's own tonic and Asda's yeah. own gin, then then you, you know might struggle. I mean, bit, I'll still yeah. drink yeah. it. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> no, same, same. <laughs> but um, no, I kind of for me, there's like five kind of pillars of of the gin and tonic, um, and I've got my preference for each one. But uh, but yeah, they're, they're they're kind of the things that that have varied really. So what what um, are those pillars then? I'm curious. Well, so the um, so the first, I guess number one is like the glass mm-hmm. that you use um because i maybe it's dying down now but there was you must have had especially in london or if you've been over to spain or anything like that you get a gin and tonic a goblet yeah yep. massive goblets yeah and they were hugely popular um again one of the, the the things that started at martin miller's we were one of the first to bring over those big goblets and we got them all over the, mm-hmm. the uk and uh so kind of responsible for the rise of that um, <laughs> but now hopefully trying to try to devise it but essentially what it means is you have this massive glass um in spain it's great because you know they they fill up basically you know a quadruple shot of gin pour, and yeah. a touch of tonic in yeah. there exactly and it's beautiful uh in england obviously in bars we've got we've got pretty strict laws so it's um you know a 50 mil double is kind of the max you mm-hmm. can get in there maybe a 70 mil double um and then obviously, if you fill it up with tonic, you're going to get a really watered yeah. down gin and tonic. It's going to be mainly tonic. The ice is going to melt because they're, they're not going to fill it up with ice mm-hmm. as much. Um, and it's and it, you end up with this kind of six to one ratio of tonic to gin. And being a gin enthusiast, I'm more about the taste of gin. So I prefer, I mean, I've got one, got one here, <laughs> uh, one of these highballs, nice tall thing glass. glass yeah. um, and that way you get loads of uh, loads of the gin to tonic ratio kind of around about two parts tonic to one part mm-hmm. gin um so if you get like 100 mil 150 mil of tonic and 50 ish mil of, of gin in there is that ratio right something like that but yeah you want to basically you want to taste the gin. yeah so the, and the glass is kind of essential for that definitely um, the what's the what's the second oh the second part I, I i get very this is one of the things i do get hung up on is ice mm-hmm. uh I don't know whether you've talked about ice with your drinks on this podcast before, but um, it's a big, big component. Oh, when it comes to yeah, drinks. definitely. I, I mean, it's yeah. yeah. I haven't like talked about it, it like specifically just covering off ice, but that probably the biggest lesson since I've I because I got massive. I've, I've always liked drinking since it was socially acceptable for me to do so. Um, but I became a ma- I got really into just cocktails and drinks and stuff in the first lockdown. That's kind of how this all happened with the podcast and everything and that was Mm. a huge lesson for me was how massive the quality of your ice changes your drink and it's been it's been a learning curve because living in london um with a tiny little freezer you know it it typically making ice with like a shitty ice cube tray um and it's just i've really i'm like oh why do none of my cocktails look like these nice ones on instagram and it's because they're all using nice clear ice with you know no impurities and stuff like that so yeah no i've definitely definitely tried to start making more of an effort with the ice that i use yeah definitely it's all it's about quality and and quantity as well um Basically, the more ice you get in the glass, the colder the whole thing is going to be and the less the ice is going to yeah. melt. And when the ice melts, it dilutes the drink and changes the flavor profile. So that's why in bars, you always see, we always have people coming in and saying, you know, they'll always be that slightly older person who's like, oh, hold the ice. I, I don't, you know, I want to get my money's worth. And, and all they're doing is they're getting more tonic yeah. or more mixer yeah. in there. Um, and it's going to be warm. And also the whole drink's going to be warmer because there's not as much ice and the ice is going to melt. You're going to end up with a watery drink after a while, which um, the best moment to drink a drink is as soon as you get it from the mm-hmm. bar, because that's exactly how the bartender intended you to have it. Um, and the, every second after that, you're getting you're more losing, dilution yeah. and it's changing. So, so yeah, so that's, that's the one thing I do get a bit snobby about. If, if someone's making me one, I'm just like, just pack it full of well, ice. Well, yeah. But then obviously I've been been at parties and you run out of ice and then you know you're just drinking it warm and it's still good it's not it's not the end no we'll still drink it yeah no my my boyfriend actually got me an ice maker for christmas um which right now is just uh you know it's just for the two of us so we've got ice coming out of our eyeballs but when we can actually have (laughs) a party again or some sort of barbecue it'll be great because Uh yeah i mean like last summer um when we were able to have like you know 
like six people over to the house or whatever, like trying to, and we go through a heat wave in London and then nowhere has bags of ice and stuff for parties and stuff like that. Like it's not (laughs) uncommon to get stuck drinking a warm drink. So I'm excited about my ice maker. (laughs) That's a great purchase. I should get one here. I've just got loads of ice trays, like, but but big cubes. Um, I can, I can email you a link because we, he bought it for me. And then his granny, who's never had an ice maker was like, Oh, can I get one of those? We sent one to her. It's, it's great. And it's like, it's amazing. You fill it up with the tiniest bit of water and the amount, the volume of ice that it manages to produce is actually quite impressive. So yeah, highly recommended. Mm. Um, I think it's just on Amazon. Yeah. I'll send you a link, but yeah, it's a funny thing because you know, here I think it's just not not as common well at least in like london flats maybe you know in houses and stuff um for your fridge to have an ice maker and everything whereas back at home like it was a lot easier to get ice but here it's just it's something that you actually have to think about ahead of time yeah exactly <laughs> um then what's the third, the third component is obviously the, the the most important the gin mm-hmm. that you're going to use in your gin and tonic um again for me i would always recommend a well a this is coming from a very biased opinion, but also, you know, it's, this is what I'm drinking now. It's what I'll drink. It's my go-to is uh, a classic London mm-hmm. dry in a gin and tonic. Um, the beauty of gin is how versatile it can be. Um, and you've, you've probably seen there's a billion different flavors mm-hmm. of gin out there. There's everything from like seaweed to candy floss mm-hmm. to all sorts of flavors of gin, um, which is cool. It's great. It pushes the boundaries. It gets people trying it that maybe wouldn't have. But um, when it comes to it, buying a bottle to have at home for me a london dry which is a nothing added after distillation just pure juniper forward gin um it's got the balance that you can then take down you know you've got your tonic and your garnish to to go down mm-hmm. the flavor route of whichever way you want to go and if you get 14 doubles from a bottle um, and you're having them at home you don't want to have 14 candy floss flavored no, gin tonics no. i mean some people might <laughs> i I'm not personally friends with any of those no. people. But <laughs> I actually, I had like that unicorn gin liqueur, um, like the sparkly stuff that oh, was given yeah. to me from a fr- yeah. like that friend who I was telling you about who moved back to America. They kind of cleared out their liquor before they moved and gave a lot to us, which is very kind of them. But one of it was that unicorn gin liqueur. And I kind of pawned it off on another friend because <laughs> it's like yeah. sickeningly sweet. I was like, I'm never making a gin and tonic with this, but it sparkles. So it looks cool in the glass, I suppose. I know it's and yeah I it, sometimes I get on a big high horse about you know gin has to there's three rules it's got to be juniper flavored it's got to be over 37 and a half percent and it's got to be made from a neutral grain mm-hmm. spirit that's kind of it um and then I, yeah there's I mean yeah sparkly candy floss gin is it juniper flavored predominantly definitely no. not um but do people have fun with it probably um could I drink a whole bottle at home? No, no. no. <laughs> not, not Nor me. should you. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. So the, yeah, gin. I tend to go. Obviously, the the, the Havens London Drive is the the original London Drive family recipe, um, and it's kind of just the way that gin's always been made and the way it's tasted for the last 150 years. So it's 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 kind of my my go to. It was my go to even before I started working mm-hmm. for Havens. That was one of the reasons I, I took the job there because I was like, well, this is this is kind of gin in its purest mm-hmm. form, which is which is pretty cool. Um, then obviously the tonic is a huge part, which you know, ten years ago wasn't even a question. Yeah. It was Schweppes yeah. from the gun, bam, straight in the glass. Now, I mean, you could, you could do a whole podcast series on tonics, yeah, and like. I probably should. <laughs> to be fair, it would be quite fun. But yeah, no, there's so many different tonics now. I love it though. I love experimenting with tonic. Yeah, and that's that's the beauty of, I mean, gin, like I say, there are various profiles and styles of gin, but um, if you stick with a classic, you can then, you know, if you like elderflower, use the, the Fever Tree yeah. Elderflower tonic. If you like a basil and grapefruit, then use the Double Dutch basil and something yeah. like there's, yeah. there's so many different um, flavors that you can go down. And again, it that's, the, that's the, the cheaper part of the gin and tonic, I suppose. So you don't have to buy a, you know, a 30 pound bottle of, cucumber Mm -hmm. gin you can get a good bottle of gin and then buy a few cucumber tonics and go down that route so yeah the the, like i say the tonics are on a massive sliding scale um for me the the fever tree indian tonic Mm -hmm. water is kind of that's like my 
baseline. I'm pretty sure like 50% of my blood is uh, <laughs> between the tonic water. Probably like, same, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, I think... The, the plus side is... Oh, oh no, I was I was just going to say, I just think that it's... It, I don't think people necessarily give tonic enough credit for it. I think it's it must be fever tree that their whole marketing is like if two thirds of your drink is the mixer, you know, mm-hmm. make it a good one, make it fever tree or whatever. And it is true. Like I have, I think I have had in the past gin and tonics that were made with like a really nice or really exciting gin, but then they use a tonic that was, again, like not to knock Schweppes, but I feel like a lot of times if you get Schweppes that's been like in the back of someone's cupboard or it's been, you know, it's gone a bit flat or like, so, yeah. you know, it doesn't even have to be Schweppes. It could be any tonic, but you mix that in and it doesn't matter how nice the gin is. It's just going to be a subpar G&T. So I think that um, it's more important than a lot of people give it credit for. Massively, massively. And it um, means you won't get malaria yes. as well, which is the plus side. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the, the the quinine being the key ingredient in there but um but yeah it, it's it's a hugely it's like you say well fever trees say three quarters of your drink is gin is tonic mm-hmm. then uh um we tend to say if 50 percent of your yeah if your, <laughs> your, your drink is tonic i think 75 is probably a bit that's, too a, that's much, a lot but, um, yeah but again it's personal preference and obviously they're trying to sell tonic and we're trying to sell gin yeah. so we're always going to try and pump our numbers up yeah, exactly. um but uh, yeah, then the final bit is obviously the garnish as well. Yeah. So again, this I think is the area that can be overlooked just for for year. I mean, the, for the longest time, originally with the classic original gin and tonic when it was first came about, it was always the lemon um, because you had the 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 tonic was your ingredient that stopped you getting malaria, um, and the lemon was the ingredient that. Um, stopped you getting scurvy because it kept your vitamin c up um and then the gin was on all the navy boats because that's what the officers mm-hmm. had so that's where your, your gin and tonic came from um but uh but yeah it was always the lemon and then uh it was gordon's came along in the uh, in with the first color marketing um and they had the green bottles mm-hmm. obviously the iconic green bottles they used the lime because it was green mm-hmm. so lime makes sense looked i didn't better. know that but that um, makes sense and then you had yeah, then the gin and tonic and lime was the big deal. Um, and then in the late 90s, early 2000s, you got obviously Hendrix coming mm-hmm. along and they just turned the game upside down with the cucumber, yeah. pushing that to the forefront. Um, and then now it's like, it doesn't have to be a lemon, it doesn't have to be a lime, it doesn't have to be a cucumber. Yeah. Like I'm sure if you've been to any bar in London, you get like half a shrubbery brush. <laughs> yeah, or, yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> if you name it, you can garnish a G&T with it now. Um which is cool, I think. And again, I think it it's it's something that we you, you can experiment with, mm-hmm. and you know you can go you can go citrus with any citrus. You know you can get your grapefruits in there. Um, you can get pineapples, all sorts of stuff. Um, you can go savory. You can go spicy with chilies. Mm-hmm. You can get your herby things in there: coriander, basil. Um, yeah, more savory with things like carrots. Mm-hmm. Um, bar the other day was doing it with parsnips as well, which is like. Not, not for me, but, you know, <laughs> go crazy. Go that's, crazy. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, no, I had that, that aviation gin um, that I had last summer was at a gin bar in East London, and they did it with, um, I think it was like a dried grapefruit, um, and then they threw some mm. some bitters in it, actually, and that was really nice. It, was, it made it yeah. a lot more complex than just your average gin and tonic. It was good. Yeah, well, exactly. well, yeah, I guess if you want to add a sixth element to the G&T, you can then add bitters mm-hmm. as well, like you say, and then you can get from anything from your Angostura to your, your, your orange your chocolate bitters. Like, oh, yeah, then then you just go in next yeah. level. And then uh, it gets it gets very gets fun. Exciting. The Sipsmith chocolate and orange or yeah, it is chocolate and orange gin, isn't it? Um, with chocolate bitters that that's really good. I've had that before um yeah it's fun and like you say the the possibilities are endless for sure mm, it's uh but yeah i think that's that's probably what's made it so iconic uh recently because there is i like my job for the last yeah five six years has been to to go when i first started it was very much people still drank vodka people still you know drank rum and coke whiskey and coke gin and tonics was majority drunk by people's nans um now obviously over time been been changing that and the amount of talks or presentations uh, i'll do in you know bars or events or whatever it is there's always 
10% of the room who are like, I don't like gin and tonic. I'm just here with my friend mm-hmm. or I, I was made to come along to this. I don't, I don't like gin and tonic. And then I guarantee you can find a gin and tonic that that person likes. Yeah. Like some combination of gin, flavored tonics, you know, lots of ice, obviously nice glassware. Um, there's, there's something for everyone. That's what, I'm Ever, still so determined to get my parents on board. I think it's just a matter. I think for my, I think my dad, really just doesn't like tonic water he doesn't like the like the quinine Mm. flavor um so yeah Yeah. i need i need to find some sort of way to just sneakily get him to enjoy one (laughs) yeah well that i mean yeah you kind of stumbled across the uh that that's the big thing that comes up is lots of people saying they don't like gin Mm -hmm. um but i like i guarantee there's a gin that people like and you can you know, give people a something like an old tom gin's a nice easy way into mm-hmm. gin and they'll like or unicorn mm-hmm. tears, candy floss sugar gin like they'll like that um, and it is often the tonic is the thing that people don't yeah. like so myself having drunk lots and i guess yourself as well um you develop slightly more bitter yeah. taste buds and you know you like beers coffee gin and tonic you love it um 10 year old me hated yeah. it but, uh, <laughs> i think uh but yeah you so some people obviously don't love that bitterness, but it, again, with the the way that things are going now, the the gin and tonic doesn't necessarily have to be a classic quinine heavy tonic. Um, again, I mean, Fever Tree do their Mediterranean mm-hmm. tonic, which has got fifty percent less quinine in, and you know that often just blows people's minds. Yeah. they're like, oh wow, and it's it's got a little bit more lemon time and things like that in there, and they people people love that. Um, or gin and sodas as well. I know, I think it's double dutch i think franklin and sons there's, there's a few other companies out there as well um and fever tree have got some sodas as well i just sound like i'm promoting soft drink now. <laughs> I promote gin. um but um but yeah the sodas uh you get these flavored sodas which don't have the quinine in but they've got the fizz um and yeah the, a gin and soda is is rapidly becoming a, a great drink because there's less masking of the gin in there. So it promotes the flavor of the gin while still having the fizz. And that, that might be a good way to, to bring your dad on board. Well, yeah. And I feel like, I mean, as if, as long as it's not a super sugary soda, that probably is actually quote unquote healthier than a gin and tonic because regular tonic water is pretty high mm-hmm. in sugar. So you can get the, that's how you can get the vodka soda crew on board, which any, anytime yeah. someone tells me their drink is a vodka soda, I just immediately assume they don't have a personality. <laughs> so. Oh, it's a- good job! I didn't choose my second favorite <laughs> drink, which is vodka. So, <laughs> I'm no, I'm. It's yeah. it's harsh on my part, but I've made it very clear on this podcast that I hate vodka, and I I I just. But my my best friend loves a vodka soda, and I'm just like, how do you do it? Like mm. it just uh, is. Yeah, I get it. that's a good good summary, I suppose. Did you have a bad vodka experience then? No, or not not, like the not particularly. I've just all like I've always just kind of thought of vodka as like gin without a personality. Like there's just you know it's just stripped of everything. Um, and then when you mix it with soda water, you know you could squeeze as much lime in there as you want, but I just don't think that helps the situation. Um, you know, on a really hot day by the pool or something, I can see how it would be refreshing and a little bit hydrating, but there's just a million other things I would drink before I would pick that. <laughs> yeah, I must I must agree. I think one of the fortunate things I've traveled to distilleries and things like that and got to try spirits in various forms um, and all different kinds. And there's something about everything's got a different, a different like uh, kind of DNA mm-hmm. to it that makes it interesting. So even if it's not, you know tasty it's still interesting mm-hmm. um but i mean and there are some vodkas that don't fall into this category but like you say for me vodka is kind of it's it's not tasty but it's not interesting right. either it's just like and i mean yeah and it takes me back to being sort of 15 and well, drinking way too much vodka yeah. um, i think i think that's I think a huge that's thing lies. as well like it, it, it like smelling it doesn't make me feel sick or anything like that um but yeah i just like i mean in college like we drank a lot of like vodka and Gatorade and just like things I would never dream of mixing now and I'm it's just I'm glad that those days are behind me yeah we uh we this is off topic but we at at university we used to do um we used to call it disco water which was every single dorm room had like a um like a a green recycling bin Mm -hmm. Uh, so you'd get one of those put it in the kitchen and literally like two bottles of vodka two bottles of 
like lime juice i think it was like like the, mm-hmm. or the orange squash or whatever it was and then just like filled up with water from the tap and just it, it's as disgusting as it sounds yeah that's, and, that's basically you know, room, like room jungle juice which is what we had in uni it was yeah <laughs> exactly and then yeah probably why yeah got a aversion to vodka i think yeah just poisoning myself yeah <laughs> drinking out of a bin well and it's that it's that sort of stuff i'm like I've, i'm not afraid of not to get super covety or political but i'm like i'm not afraid of a vaccine if i was willing to <laughs> drink vodka out of yeah whatever vessel was shoved at me like for some reason when i was 18 it just i didn't care <laughs> like i i would go to parties yeah. and they'd have stuff in, in just like like their mom's tupperware containers and looking back i'm like why did we drink that we were we were made of different stuff back we then were. i think yeah definitely yeah drinking random concoctions through a shoe <laughs> a large part of my life drinking drinking through shoes which um yeah yeah bring on the vaccine yeah nothing could be yeah. worse than that no i'm not i'm not afraid but um anyway so let's talk a little bit about the history of the gin and tonic do you know much through your work experience about how the drink actually came to be. I did a little bit of research myself, but I'll be interested to hear what you have to say. Okay. Well, well, what I tell people, which might necessarily not be true, but <laughs> um, the, uh, yeah. So, I mean, gin, gin was kind of the, the forefront of most of this. Gin was the, um, it was around about the sort of 1800s or so. You had the, it was the very prominent, um, it was the drink of the, the, the higher class mm-hmm. person when, um, and uh, so it was the, the the drink given to officers. So every officer on a boat would give mm-hmm. themselves a, a barrel of gin to take on board. Um, and all the all the deckhands below, they would have things like grog or mm-hmm. you know sort of rum punches and stuff like that. But gin uh, uh, was the officer. So it, it travelled around the world with the the army and the navy, um, and and was a staple. And it it was used to sort of wash everything down because it people just loved it um and then as i sort of said yeah the 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 tonic was this um was this ingredient that was um i think it was i want to say was it venezuela south america uh, initially was uh so malaria being the biggest killer of humans ever in the history of the world um people yeah as as they the the Europeans were going around the world everyone was dying of malaria um and, and they thought it was malaria translates as bad air mm-hmm. um because they thought in the boggy wetlands um it was the, the the smelly air that was killing people but it was obviously all the mosquitoes that lived in that area um and the local tribes I want to say South America I can't remember the country but they were getting all of their they were eating the bark of the chinchona mm-hmm. tree which is locally known as the fever tree, which is where fever tree get their name from. Interesting. Um, and uh, and yeah, the, the, it turns out that the, this bark uh, has quinine in. And I think it was like 1850 when it was discovered by I think Erasmus Bond, mm-hmm. um, which is just the coolest name <laughs> in history. Um, I think he patented the first um, sort of tonic water. Um, but essentially, you had to take your quinine ration. You had to take your, as I mentioned before, your lemon ration um, to get your or your lime ration to get your vitamin C. Um, you'd mix it up in water with some sugar in order to uh, make it palatable. And then, obviously, if you had your gin, you chuck that in there mm-hmm. to make it drinkable. And then you had your gin, and and your tonic was your your sort of malaria and scurvy mm-hmm. cure. So, um, as far as I'm aware, that's where it came from. I think. Yeah. No, I mean um, that's basically the history that I read, but you put it much nicer than I would have. Um, but yeah, no, I thought I thought that was super interesting. Um, I didn't realize that like the um, when the British Army was in India and stuff, I didn't realize that they got a gin ration kind of in the same way that the Navy got their rum rations yeah. and stuff. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, exactly, and it, it makes sense how it and, evolved. Uh, it's the original. I would say it's like the original super smoothie because mm-hmm. it's uh, it's fighting fighting diseases on on all fronts. So, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, but way way nicer than kale and flaxseed. <laughs> yeah, really. Is, <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna feel much nicer More after practical. you have that than some horrible hemp smoothie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I drank. I mean, I, I, I had like a good three or four year run of drinking gin and tonics most days. Mm-hmm. Not in like a I've got a problem way, but in a yeah, professional yeah. way. Um, and then <laughs> I did like three months around South America and um, didn't catch malaria. There you go. So, you know, 
didn't didn't take any tablets or anything i was like i, I think i've got i've got an immunity so. yeah like you said it's the tonic it water that's in your blood now that's smart exactly See, it's a health food <laughs> <laughs> that makes me feel a lot better about how i've been spending my lockdown yeah although you can you can overdose on or you can get very you can get quinine poisoning mm. i think if you drink too much one of the this is a really british reference i don't there's um Oh, there was a there was a cookery show. I think it was called Two Fat Ladies or something like that. Um, but one of them, she she famously got quitting poisoning oh from drinking too much too much gin and tonic. Um, weirdly, not alcohol poisoning, just just the the quitting poisoning. That's interesting. Again, another reason for fifty percent of your gin and well, tonic. Well, exactly. Gin. Yeah, just knock that tonic down a bit for your own safety. <laughs> I wonder how much she drank because I always when I, I knew that you could get quinine poisoning, but I always thought that. It was in the same way that you can get water poisoning. Like you'd have to drink more than any normal yeah. <laughs> person could possibly drink. But if she actually did manage to get it, I wonder yeah. exactly how much she had. I mean, I think she was drinking more than any normal yeah. person should drink. I think, <laughs> I think that's what it was. <sighs> but uh, yeah, it's uh, so yeah, it's you know, gin and tonic. A, a couple of gin and tonics away keep the malaria and scurvy away. Is is what I yeah, always say. <laughs> words to live by definitely <laughs> definitely so so yeah let's talk let's talk a little bit more about Haman's as well um I had the pleasure of visiting mm. well right before lockdown two we're now in lockdown three for anyone who's struggling to keep up with the situation in the UK um yeah it's a it's a great distillery that you guys have I mean how has how has um, we talked about a little bit before we start recording? But how has the coronavirus situation kind of changed how you guys operate? Yeah, it's um, it's been odd. Obviously, I don't think anyone's found this whole situation mm-hmm. not odd. But um, yeah, so we we opened the distillery there. It's the, the sixth distillery the family have had since 1863 when they started. Um, and this was very much obviously gin's been booming, so we decided to open this one as a uh, as a you know a place for the future. Mm-hmm. And as you've seen it, it's a great big beautiful space. With uh, we do tours there, we do um, we do cocktail classes, we do all sorts. It's got a beautiful bar tables a lounge area um we did have a very small shop because it was mainly just about getting people in to see the place um but yeah with covid it's kind of flipped around because we can't have more than a few people in at mm-hmm. a time um we've uh, it's turned more into a local shop for for, for booze mm-hmm. basically and um we like we thought we after two three or well, it was 2018 so yeah so yeah so two two three years we thought we had the local area covered um, and we were kind of expanding out and, you know, getting more Northeast, Southwest mm-hmm. London, uh, getting, getting into the distillery. Um, but with lockdown, it transpires like, the amount of people just, you know, going for their daily walks. Um, they see a sign distillery this way. If you ever do come, anyone listening, it's, it's down, uh, it's kind of in, there's Ballum, which is a beautiful part of London, a lovely little uh, uh, town in just on the border of zone two and three. Um and then just outside, about a 10-minute walk from the station, you end up in a bit of an industrial estate, as I'm sure you'll testify. Uh, you think you've gone to the wrong place. You go down a little alleyway, and then all of a sudden you've got this big, beautiful distillery. Yeah, it's lovely. You, so, it's um, very nice. So, yeah, so people, the amount of people just wandering in, and they're just like, I've, I've lived lived on Weir Road for the last 10 years, and I never knew there was a distillery here. I mean, from for just like, coming from personal experience living in Balham, I think your adverts, uh, like, um, on the – train platforms at Ballam Station. That's mm. what how I discovered you guys um, from the start. So that was very clever because my boyfriend and I had just yeah. moved to Ballam. We were like, oh, there's a gin distillery here. Um, it's great. <laughs> so yeah, that was that was definitely a good move for you guys. But yeah, the distillery is gorgeous. I loved it. Yeah. And it is, um, yeah, they, I, I think it's, it's definitely got a, a bit more of a local community mm-hmm. thing uh, going on, which is probably the... One of the many plus sides of this wonderful lockdown that we're in, um, the fact that people are able to sort of discover it a bit more. Um, but um, but yeah, it's outside of that. I mean, the the thing that we love doing there is hosting people. Mm-hmm. Um, we do tours well, outside of lockdowns. We did tours every evening. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a, a good little after work treat. You come down, you get a couple of gin and tonics. Mm-hmm. You, you learn about the history of gin. You learn about uh, what goes into it, how we make it, um, try, a, we've got a whole range of, I think we've got something like 
eight or nine different gins that we have mm-hmm. now so you can try a few of the different gins um and uh, yeah i think as you did it yourself it's just a good way to um it's a great date idea it's a great sort of get together with yeah. friends uh, or if you're just just an enthusiast you want something to do it's a good good thing to come down and, uh, and i completely explore. agree it's it's a great date night it's a great double date night um like you said if you're mm. just an enthusiast or if you're someone who knows nothing about gin also very good so yeah i would recommend anyone who is around london to do that i just i also just love the fact that it's a family-owned business um i think that that vibe for lack of a better word just kind of bleeds through and you know you can just tell when you're touring that it's just um not some massive corporate conglomerate yeah. that's just trying to you know shove products in your face it was it's, it was just really nice <laughs> no i think that's something we need to do more of we need to we need to hard sell a bit more i think i think uh, <laughs> it's just it's just a, a like a nice vibe and the chances are if you're there like uh, I don't know if on the days you were there, but the the Heymans themselves. So my bosses are James and Miranda Heyman, their mm-hmm. brother and sister. Um, they're the fifth generation. Um, their father, Christopher Heyman, he's our master distiller. Um, he's seventy in his seventies now. Um, he's like the the David Attenborough of the gin world. Uh, <laughs> he is. Um, he's he's everyone knows him. Um, he's he's worked with or taught you know a lot of the distillers that are around the country now. Mm-hmm. Um, he celebrated his 50th year in the gin industry last year wow so um i mean he is he just knows everything like and everything that we do goes through him um he uh he's like uh, yeah phenomenal man and he's he's got stories and stories and stories and he remembers when juniper used to come in on barges in in wooden barrels up the up the thames he used to have to go Mm -hmm. and collect it and you know it's it's crazy the 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 things that he used to do but um but yeah they are they are in and out the distillery most days so um and we're in meetings and they'll be like oh we better run that by dad and it's like <laughs> this is a this is a family meeting like i love that yeah yeah i i that would just be a fun work environment and a good yeah. a good learning experience i'm sure mm. so if you guys if you because expe- i i swear unless i had just been drinking too much but my boyfriend and I managed to get to Santorini um last summer on holiday and I swear one of the really nice cocktail bars that we went to had Heyman's behind the bar and I was like oh my gosh because it was so random um (laughs) because I'm like I'm used to like pubs in Balham pretty much every pub has has Heyman's gin and you know it's not surprising to see it but yeah it was like the it was this cocktail bar um in kind of like the center of Santorini and I'm like 99% sure it was Heyman's that they had behind the bar yeah, probably would have. Um, so weirdly, one of the, the, the so we're in sort of 60, 70, I think it's over 70 now, uh, markets internationally. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, Heyman's has been around for for the longest time. Um, and that's one of the great things about it. Weirdly, the UK is one of our more challenging, I think just the competition in the UK yeah. is yeah. so immense. And a lot of our time wasn't focused on, but we have so much demand internationally because mm-hmm. you know in the in the states it's huge um germany spain ukraine australia china across mm-hmm. asia um a lot of those places they for them Heyman's is the london gin they're like oh mm-hmm. you know london gin it's it's Heyman's, Heyman's um, yeah um which is great i did um uh a this thing called uh what's it called bar oh. Barometer in Ukraine, this big mm-hmm. European, Eastern European bar event, and I went there and I did a talk on Heyman's, and it was rammed full of people. There was like people like on you know standing on people's shoulders at the back to get in. <laughs> I was like, what the hell is going on? And then like everyone was buzzing about it. And then afterwards, I, I signed an autograph because they were like, are you you're Chris from Heyman's? Like, can you? And then the booklet with it's the like photo. The Glasto like, of gin. Yeah. I was like, what the hell? And uh, over there, like every supermarket it is the it is the gin it's like it's phenomenal. amazing so, um and and yeah I, th- I think we often lose sight of that working in the in london specifically yeah. um because every you can't you can't go like 10 yards without tripping over another you know gin distiller or, or yeah gin yeah. rep <laughs> selling the latest cauliflower gin or whatever it is so <laughs> um so yeah so i did so internationally it's it's phenomenal um we we do we do great bits over there and i mean yeah the uk's been 
been always consistent and been growing as well. But um, but yeah, I think it'll be interesting post lockdown because there's been so many new small brands that have invested heavily in you know mm-hmm. shelf space or marketing or things like that. And with coronavirus, there's going to be a lot of people not getting their money back. So um, yeah, yeah, I I feel like that bubble's going to shrink down a bit, but. Um, the originals or, or the people that have come through it really well are, are going to stick around, I think. So. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Now it's going to be very interesting to see. I, I have stopped even trying to predict what's going to happen because <laughs> I've been wrong every yeah. time I've tried to up to this point. So it'll be that very three, interesting to see. Yeah, that three-week lockdown is uh, really dragging on, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> that oh my initial God. one. Yeah. Well, I, I just remember, you know, I I – tend to use pessimism as a way to try to cope with terrible things that are happening. And I remember in the first lockdown, my version of super pessimistic worst case scenario was 12 weeks. <laughs> and yeah. it's like, yeah. we, we ran through that quite quickly and we were still in lockdown. And then, and then we came out and it was like, I knew it wasn't just going to go away, but I didn't necessarily think we'd be back in a full lockdown like this. So yeah, it gives everyone a chance to, to try new hobbies, you know, get, get involved. I've, I've been, dabbling in trying different drinks actually i've been trying yeah. some different whiskeys and different rums yeah. um which has been good um oh a good a good shout out for anyone who's interested in stuff um liberated liquids uh, mm. a, a guy called lewis he owns a couple of really cool one of the original gin bars in london called merchant mm-hmm. house which has like 300 and 400 gins in there or something like that um and as well as rums and whiskeys um so kind of pivoted his business because he had all these great bottles open to mm-hmm. selling you know little packs of little um 20 mil tasters of each one so you can try yeah. you know a pack of 10 20 different gins or different rums or different whiskeys without having to go and buy four bottles and uh yeah i've been working my way through some of those and uh, expanding yeah. my knowledge which is definitely good. well yeah exactly now that's what i've been doing um <laughs> copiously for the past like nine or ten months <laughs> um actually yeah random question before we wrap up did Heyman's ever during lockdown get into the whole hand sanitizer production like a lot of other distilleries did so we i mean we we've made some um that mm-hmm. we use that, so if you come to the distillery um all our sanitizers and spray we make ourselves but we it was kind of we didn't want to get into that profiteering off a, a pandemic kind of thing yeah um, and that's then, respectable yeah and then another side of our business um is we do it's part of the, the wider Heyman group is that they um distribute the neutral grain spirit that's that used in all these things so the high strength mm. alcohol industrial alcohol um and so that side of the business obviously everyone was making hand sanitizers mm-hmm. was just just couldn't get their hands on the stuff quick enough to get it out there so mm-hmm. we didn't want to take away any of that for our own use really um, yeah no that that's fair and I mean I did like when places first started doing that I thought it was so clever and so cool mm. but then it seemed I mean uh, you know it's not like the demand for hand sanitizer has gone down but I feel like it the market very quickly became very saturated um and now I mean you can tell because now anytime you get hand sanitizer from anywhere you don't know what to sometimes it's like just pure water sometimes it's very like gelatinous sometimes it smells like a night out like it's just pure tequila (laughs) like I never I've never experienced so much variety in anything in my life than with hand sanitizer during this pandemic I think initially it was just that panic of, you know, you've got distillers and drinks producers who are very good at making alcohol. And then all of a sudden, you know, we were hearing that bars were going to shut forever and yeah, no one was allowed yeah. to go out. We didn't know if people were going to be able to shop online. Like everyone was like, oh, my God, what do I do? How, you know, I need to make I need to get, keep my revenue up. So, um, yeah. So, yeah, there was it was like, well, people need this stuff and we've got all the equipment. Um, so, yeah, it was yeah, it was crazy those first few weeks. <laughs> Oh God. Yeah. I can, I can imagine. I can't wait until the pubs reopen whenever that might be. (laughs) Yeah. East. Oh wow. This, this will be a good time capsule for us to come back to, but, uh, we've been told Easter. (laughs) I know. I know. Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping that things just continue to get in, in the opposite way to how in the first lockdown things progressively got worse than what they originally predicted. I'm hoping this time around things progressively get better and they start to pull some of those dates in um, and open things up a bit more because they feel like it's safer. But who knows? Like I said, I can't even speculate anymore. (laughs) 
Well, in in six years' time, when we're in our underground bunkers, you know, yeah, <laughs> uh, we'll listen back to this podcast and we'll laugh about with, our with U.S. President Kanye West. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining, Chris. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat to you. Learned a lot. Is there anything that you would like to plug for the listeners? Uh, no, just stay safe. Um, and when, you know, support your local bars, if they're doing cocktail takeaways, uh, deliveries, anything like that, treat yourself. They are incredible. They taste good. Um, yes, and, they do. You know, get, get dressed up at home. Get yourself a delivery of those in you know, with your partner or your housemates or whatever it is. Try and try and live some sense of normality. And then as soon as the bars open, try, don't go back to the big chains. Go to your local neighborhood bars yeah. and get some money in their tills because they are going to need it. So I yeah. completely agree. I think that is very good advice. Well, thank you so much for coming on and you're welcome back on anytime. Woo, thank you very much. Appreciate <laughs> it. All right, so that wraps us up for this week's episode of Gin and Beer It, the first episode of 2021. Just wanted to give a brief apology for um, the radio silence that you may or may not have noticed for me pretty much over the past six weeks. Um, Not any sort of traumatic reason or anything like that. I just, um, I had every intention in December of posting um, a couple of festive um, drink theme podcast as well as some tutorials on Instagram TV for one reason or another, one of which was just kind of needing a break and needing to focus on family time at the holiday season. I took a bit of a longer holiday hiatus than I intended, but I am back and I'm very excited to be back and I feel refreshed and motivated and excited to get some new and exciting guests on the podcast. So With that being said, usual spiel, if you have any requests for drinks that you would like covered either on the podcast or the Instagram tutorials, if you would like to come on the show, please reach out to me. Uh, If you have a friend or colleague or an aunt who would like to come on the show, please let me know. You can reach out at ginandbeeritshow at gmail.com, Instagram at ginandbeeritshow, Twitter at ginandbeeritpod, and I will chat to you guys next week. Have a great week.